Good morning, everyone. My name's Austin. Uh, I'm on the team here, and every once in a while, uh, I get the chance to teach and give Trevor and his family a rest and a break just to sit under the Word um, together. And if you've been journeying with us for the last 12 weeks or so, from the Back to the Garden series, to the Stewardship series, to the first three Sundays of Advent, you know Trevor has been, um, he's been carrying a lot of the load of teaching, and it's been an incredible teaching series between Back to the Garden stewardship and advent. And I know for me, you know, as I've Trevor and his family for their teaching. Um, man, so thankful for it. Um, so, you know, if you're new this morning and you've just been with us for 30 minutes or, gosh, you've been a part of this church for 30 years. We're simply a church with a mega vision, a vision of a Los Angeles in which every single person has experienced the life-changing power of the gospel. And so there's three things that we want to do really well. First, we want to know Jesus. We want to make Jesus the center of every single thing that we do every worship service that we have, every community group that we gather in, every time we serve the city and serve the world, we want Jesus to be the center of it. And we think that as we seek to know Jesus, we'll actually begin to grow in faith. Our trust, our allegiance, and our hope in Jesus will increase. And as he begins to grow our faith, he begins to shape us inform us. And he actually sends us out into the world to serve the folks that live in our home, the neighbors next to our home, those in the workplace, those in this church and beyond. And so this morning, we're kind of towards the end of our Advent series. We've got this AM service this morning and a unique, distinct service this evening that Trevor will be teaching at. And the Advent having this kind of moment is helpful. You know, we did this Back to the Garden series in which we remembered the goodness of creation and the way God had created all things. And as we journeyed through Genesis, we kind of ended in a spot in which creation was going sideways. And there was kind of this subtle hope in Genesis that God would come and redeem things, that people would once again begin to call on the name of the Lord. And so that kind of saving that they had been waiting on. We kind of begin to lean into that during the season of Advent. Advent simply means arrival, the arrival of the Messiah into the world. And so this will help us as we remember Advent and the arrival of Jesus. That'll kind of launch us into uh, the works and the words of Jesus and the gospel of Mark in the spring. But this morning we will be in the gospel of Luke, remembering the Advent of Jesus will be in Luke chapter one. And when Luke is writing this gospel and he's recording these events of Jesus, he makes it really clear at the beginning as to why he's writing this down. Luke says in Luke chapter one, the very beginning, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent 
Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. We come to the season of Advent. These aren't wishful thinking moments. This isn't lore or myths. These are careful accounts that have been investigated and passed down to us. And so whenever we read any Advent text, it is more than myth or lore. It is historical reality. And so this morning, as we look at some of those events that have been investigated and passed down to us, we'll be in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And we're going to talk about Mary. We're going to talk about the Christ. And we are going to talk about the incarnation. Again, we'll talk about Mary. We'll talk about the Christ. And we'll talk about the incarnation. But I want to start with this. Almost every single good story begins in unlikely places. I was reflecting on this and I couldn't help but think of Lord of the Rings. In which you have this story that kind of erupts onto the scene. And you kind of meet these, uh, these hobbits living in this shire who are kind of a forgotten group of people in Middle Earth. They're kind of just very ordinary folks and they're kind of living off on the margins, living their very kind of hobbit life. They're not a spectacular group of people and they're not living in a spectacular place. And then this moment happens in which Gandalf kind of shows up and he you know, invites Frodo into this you know, epic journey. And Frodo's kind of curious about the quest and he asks some questions. It isn't quite sure if he's the right person for it. But, you know, Gandalf kind of doubles down. No, Fro, you are the guy for it. And Frodo takes up this journey, this ordinary hobbit, and his ordinary friend, Sam, comes with him. This kind of beginning to a story is common. In fact, the best stories are those that begin in unlikely places. And when we remember the Advent story, we remember that it begins in a very unlikely place under very common, ordinary circumstances. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, she's mentioned earlier in chapter 1, it says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. And this is kind of where it gets, I mean, that's kind of interesting. But this is where it gets very common. Um, to a town in Galilee. You know, if you were writing a story and you wanted to make it epic and exciting from the front, you would say this was happening in Jerusalem. But this is happening in Galilee, which is kind of just this very kind of common on the margins space of Israel. In verse 27, the angel shows up to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Again, this is just two very common people, Mary and Joseph. Ordinary names partaking this ordinary establishment of marriage. It says that Joseph was a descendant of David, but at this point he's kind of a carpenter, just a kind of blue-collar worker. The text says the virgin's name was Mary. And uh, when this angel shows up in this kind of backwater area of Galilee, to these two very common folks, one's a blue-collar worker and one is simply engaged to get married, the angel erupts, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You know, we have that idea of the angel bursting onto the scene with the, this greeting, greetings. This isn't some kind of Star Trek greetings earthling kind of a moment. This is a, 
exclamation mark. Uh, one, of the, one of the translations of the text will say, hail. Other translations are, Mary, rejoice. Be glad, be full of joy. And Mary's thinking about what? The angel says, you ought to be glad because you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Uh, it, it really shouldn't kind of bypass our imagination of where this is actually taking place. You know, when you think about Galilee and you think about Nazareth, again, this isn't the center of Jerusalem, the center of Israel. This isn't where politics and religion are happening. This is where blue-collar workers are, where military bases are located, where everyone has an accent like they do in Oklahoma. Galilee and Nazareth is everyday people doing everyday things. And it's precisely in this kind of mundane space that the angel shows up and says, rejoice, be glad, God is with you. In other words, Luke isn't trying to gloss over the beginnings and the advent of Jesus. He wants to make a point that God oftentimes meets his people in the most ordinary, mundane places in our ordinary homes, working our mundane jobs, going about our rote business, there is this sense that in those very kind of common spaces, God will pop up. He'll show up. Say, God is with you even in these spaces. This idea of God bestowing favor of God showing up, of God giving honor to people in very common spaces. This isn't new just to the Gospel of Luke. This is attested to all throughout Scripture. I'm just going to kind of rapid fire these off real quick. This is Psalm chapter 138, verse 6. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly and the common, but the proud and the haughty, he actually knows them from afar. This is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. Towards the scorners, God is scornful, but to the humble, to the quiet, to the gentle, he gives favor. This is Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit, he who is common and ordinary will obtain honor. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 52. We read this during the Advent reading this morning, this is Mary kind of bursting into song in regard to the advent of Jesus. God has exalted those of humble, quiet estate. James chapter 4, verse 6, in regards to resisting the pride that comes with material possessions. James says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace and honor and favor to the humble. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says in regards to submission to leaders, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In other words, it's deep in the theological imagination of the text that God looks with favor upon people in mundane, ordinary, rote, humble stations of life. This is why we can kind of lean into our spaces with a lot of contentment. 
with a lot of joy, we can return to our humble apartments and our humble homes and have that same sense that God is here and he's with me. We can show up to work on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday to a job we may not be super excited about and a job in which we've been passed up for a promotion, a job we didn't expect to be in but have a sense that in this very common, ordinary space, God is here and he's with me. In our very common, ordinary relationships, whether it's friends we've had for a decade, the barista we bump into every day at Starbucks when we grab our coffee, the spouse we've been married to for a decade, the people that we work with, just these, these relationships that become very common and very ordinary. We can have a sense that God is with us and he's present in those spaces. And so I just want to ask us this question, this kind of Advent season, as we remember that the angel, that God is with Mary in her very common, ordinary station in life, are you approaching the mundane areas of your life with a sense of disdain and discontentment and a sense that God hasn't been as good as he should be? Or are you approaching those spaces, that marriage, that workplace, that friendship, that home with a sense that God is here and he's with me? When we kind of muse upon the Advent season and kids on your worksheet, you can write this down. Advent reminds us of the mundane station of Mary and that God loves to show up in places that are mundane, common, and ordinary. And so when we remember Advent, we remember Mary. But the news that the angel gives to Mary is anything but common and anything but ordinary. We pick back up in verse 29. After this angel has kind of you know, burst onto the scene saying, Rejoice, God is with you. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at this. Uh, that idea of greatly troubled is being actually like agitated. It's being distressed. It's being caught off guard. She's greatly troubled, not just at the angel's presence, but at, at his words and, and wondered. The idea of wondered is began to reason in her mind, try to fit the pieces together. What's going on here? Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and she began to wonder and reason in her mind what kind of greeting this might be. And as she's kind of, you know, thinking about this, verse 30, but the angel said to Mary, do not be afraid. I've got good news for you. You have found favor with God. And this is where the news gets very interesting. The angel says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. That name Jesus is that idea that God, that Yahweh will save. Verse 32, he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and ever. His kingdom will never end. This passage is just loaded with royal language. That he will be great son of the most high, that he will sit on a throne, that he will reign, that his kingdom will never end. The angel begins to talk about this son that is going to be born is going to be full of majesty. 
again, this kind of reminded me a bit of Lord of the Rings. You've got this main character, Aragorn, who kind of shows up as a bit of an obscure character at the beginning of the Lord of the Rings. And as you move forward, you recognize that Aragorn is not going to become king over this space because he's going to earn it, but simply he has it by birthright. He's a part of the right bloodline, and he'll become the king of his kingdom, his area. When the angel bursts onto the scene, he begins to load down Mary with the same kind of language that when Jesus is born, he is born a king. Advent is unique and special because we do remember the incarnation. We remember Jesus coming as an infant to Mary, but we ought not to forget that from the very beginning, the text tells us that Jesus is in fact king. That he's not just great, he is going to be the greatest. And that he is uh, the son of the most high. One um, commentator kind of goes down this list because there's, there are people that are born that will be talked about, that they'll be king or they'll be a prophet or at one point John the Baptist says um, he'll be great among men. And one translator goes kind of through the, or a commentator goes through kind of the pains of noting that the son to be born is not to be great in the sense of just being a prophet. And the son to be born is not to be great in the sense of just being a king. The son to be born is not going to be great just in the sense of being a priest. And the son will be great not just in the sense of being a priest king and not just a priest king, but this son is going to be the priest king of the most high and his kingdom will never end. There's kind of these throwbacks to Psalm chapter 110 verses 1 through 2 and 4 through 6. Later readers of this all throughout history will read Psalm 110 as this messianic psalm as this psalm that talks about the Messiah that is going to come in the future, that came in the person of Jesus. And the psalm says this, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. And so they're kind of talking about this idea. There's this king that's going to come, this Messiah. And then in verse 4, it talks about this king is also going to be priest. Verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever also after the order of Melchizedek. And then it continues in verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide Earth. In other words, this kind of moment in which the angel begins to speak to Mary, it is loaded with this idea that when Jesus comes, he is going to be the priest king that Israel has been waiting for. That's why, you know, during the Advent season, when we sing, we don't just remember Jesus as infant being born. We remember, like, Yes, may the earth receive her king. And it's not saying we find out about Jesus later on. It is baked into the story at the very beginning. That's why I love singing songs about the kingship of Christ. Because it, it reminds us, no matter what's happening in society or culture or politics, we know that Jesus is king. 
Lord over all, and his kingdom will never end. And so I want to I ask you this morning, when we remember the Advent story, do you only remember infant Jesus as a part of the Advent story? Or does the Advent story instill in you visions of enthronement, kingship, and majesty? Because Luke would hope that it does fill us with those kinds of visions. So kids, as you're kind of writing down on your kid's sheet, you can write on, Advent reminds us of the majesty of Christ. And then finally, the incarnation. Uh, Mary responds to this news that her baby is going to be uh, this king that will sit on the throne and rule forever. Quite the news to get. Verse 34, Mary says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month even now, verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. Verse 38, Mary simply responds, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Uh, one commentator, he's writing about this moment. And when the angel responds, the commentator talks about, in the text, this comes across as song. When the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The commentator talks about this coming forth and across as song, because even the angel sees this as a great mystery as something that is going to be so unique in the story of God with his people. In fact, that word for overcome and overshadow, it's kind of this play on words, that something mysterious is going to happen. The angel doesn't have a logical, reasonable, scientific explanation for this. It's simply that, man, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. I was kind of doing some reading and writing on this um, this past week when it was very rainy. And uh, I, I thought about the weather kind of being a good kind of um, picture of this. I was sitting in this coffee shop doing some writing, and it was, it was like 10 a.m., and it was, it was beautiful outside. It was like sunny and gorgeous. It was like 70. And I just got off the phone with Trevor, and Trevor's like, dude, is it raining there? I live in a, just a few, just a mile or two down the road in Orange County. And uh, Trevor goes, dude, it is pouring down rain here. I said, man, that's too bad for you guys. I kept writing, writing, and then, you know, 30 minutes later, I just see this dark storm cloud just rolling over Brea, and then about noon, it just started pouring down rain, and I thought, in this moment, Brea is being overcome and overshadowed by this storm cloud, and anything that was dry is now soaking wet. Anything that was hot in the sun is now cold in the wind of this storm. Anybody that was happy is now sad. But there is this sense that when the Holy Spirit comes to overshadow Mary, it's going to change everything. And for commentators all throughout history, there's, there's great mystery here in what's happening. 
Somehow the Holy Spirit was going to overshadow and overcome Mary in the same way that the Holy Spirit was over the surface of the deep in the book of Genesis. In the same way that the Spirit was over Israel in the wilderness in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. In the same way that the tabernacle and the temple were filled and overshadowed with the presence of God. Somehow that was kind of happening in Mary's womb. And commentators, even beginning as, you know, 400 CE have been commenting on this. I'm just going to read a few of these. I thought they were so helpful because they really capture the mystery of what's happening in this Advent moment, which the angel's talking to Mary. This is from an, an anonymous church father, kind of a part of the Eastern Orthodox liturgy. This kind of is probably written about 400 CE. The writer says, when God so wills, the order of nature is overcome. And what is beyond humankind actually comes to pass. Mary would bear him that was without flesh. And Christ would borrow flesh from Mary. That through this mingling, Christ may lead humankind up to its ancient glory. For Christ alone has the power to do that. Same author kind of says this. It says, Mary would conceive a son more ancient than Adam, the creator of all things. Mary would conceive him whom the world cannot contain, yet he shall be contained within Mary's womb. Mary would bear him who shone forth from the father before the morning star. A few hundred years later in 800 CE, Theophanes says this, the descent of the Holy Spirit has made Mary a temple containing God, a divinely adorned tabernacle, a living sanctuary. And a few hundred years after that, John the monk, about 1300 CE, says, wonder at this. Be filled with awe at this. God has come among humanity. He who cannot be contained is contained in a womb. The timeless enters time. This is a great mystery. His conception is without seed. His emptying past telling. So great is this mystery. This is why practicing the presence of God is so important. Remembering the mystery of Advent is so important. It makes us available to the Holy Spirit to say, Holy Spirit, I'm, uh, I'm trying to, as Mary was, I'm kind of wondering about this. I'm trying to reason this out. And there's, like, there's a certain distance that wonder and reason and logic will take us. And those are good things, and we ought to pursue those things. And at the same time, the Christian faith is full of, at times, great, deep, and profound mystery. And so our logic and our reason kind of takes us up to the brink of that. And then we say, Lord, what, what has happened is beyond my ability to comprehend and to reason. And so would you just fill me with awe at what you have done and the way that you have acted in human history? And so this Advent season, are you actively practicing the presence of God, inviting the Holy Spirit into the areas of your life that you need him and leaning in to the mystery of God among us. 
that Christ come to us. If you're one of the kids with the worksheet, you can write this down. The Advent season invites us to muse on the mystery of the incarnation. So, in closing this morning, when we lean into the Advent season, when we remember the arrival of Jesus, it ought to bring us to all that in the very mundane, ordinary, common rote places of life, God shows up to us. And when we lean into the Advent series this season, we are in awe at the majesty of Christ, that he will not be a temporal king, but he will be a king forever whose rule will not end. And finally, Advent season brings us to awe at the mystery of the incarnation. So if you're, again, one of our kids, our sticky statement is the Advent season brings us to awe. The Advent season brings us to awe at who God is. And so we want to kind of transition right now to a time of communion. And so if you're serving communion this morning, I just want to go ahead and invite you up as we kind of set the space for this. Uh, and the reality is that we are creatures. We are creatures created by God. And here's the truth about our lives that we don't oftentimes want to come face to face with, um, is at times we have been dissatisfied with the ordinary, common, mundane lot that God has given us. And most of the time, we have made ourselves king of our own lives, not submitting to the rule and to the reign of Christ. And more often than not, we do not practice the presence of God as we should or allow the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit to be overshadowing and overcoming us. Christ is truly the only one who grew in favor with God and with men during his obscure mundane years growing up, perfectly fulfilled the role of priest-king, full of majesty, and fully embodied the mystery of the Holy Spirit. And so, this morning, through God's initiation, the one that has succeeded in every space where we have failed, bore the punishment and the penalty of our sin, which is death. So Christ was crucified on a cross, but three days later, God vindicated him raised him from the dead, and now extends new life and new creation to those who call upon his name. By God's invitation, you can be forgiven. That's why it can be said of Christ. This is, again, just Luke chapter 1, verse 30 to 31. Do not be afraid, for in Christ you have found favor with God. Behold, Christ is Jesus, the one who saves. This morning, you can be saved from your sin. And so as you kind of reflect on this, 
you can come forward and receive the elements when you're ready, but hold on to them and then we'll come back up and we'll take them together. Come forward as you're ready.